3: Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. And of course, remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out at cheeseheadtv.com. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I am joined, as always, by my co host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, welcome back to another
4: Friday edition of the show. Thank you. It is absolutely great to be back. Uh, we are getting to that part of the off season that I think fans either really love or they really hate. There's there's a lot of good football to watch if you're not partial uh, to any particular team um, at this point, and you can put aside the fact that Green Bay's not playing. Um, we get to h- talk a little bit about hiring and positional coaches. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to the East-West Shrine game on Saturday and then the Senior Bowl practices coming in next week. So I'm I'm actually pretty pumped, and, and I'm looking forward to talking some football today.
3: Absolutely, and we do have some news right out of the gate uh, tonight that we wanted to get to. Uh, so, Andrew, why don't you break that for us here?
4: Yeah, so uh, Tom Silverstein reported... Um, And actually, this is a question. Can we call tweets reports? But he tweeted slash reported that the Packers have shown a strong interest in bringing back wide receiver coach Luke Getze, who is currently the offensive coordinator at Mississippi State. Uh, We're not totally sure if Getze is interested in returning, but the hiring would certainly surround Aaron Rodgers with a coach he respects and that he knows and he's familiar with. He did spend four years in Green Bay, the last as a wide receivers coach. So we'll keep an eye on that story as it begins to unfold.
3: Yeah, for sure. And we learned last week that 2018 wide receiver coach David Rye would not be sticking around on the staff. And that lack of chemistry between Rye and Rodgers was well documented. So uh, I think it potentially speaks volumes about what Rodgers, the receivers, and the organization potentially uh, thinks of Luke Getze. And so we'll see if that potential hire picks up steam in the coming days. Uh, But starting this past Tuesday... The Packaday team has been working on kind of a different project for you guys, our loyal listeners. Every day this week, we're going to be uh, talking about different position groups and working our way through this 2018 Packers roster and review each position group's overall performance. Tuesday, the team take, took a look at the quarterback. Uh, Wednesday was running back, and yesterday was wide receiver. So uh, go back and check those out if you missed any of those episodes. Uh, But today, Andrew and I will be giving our full attention to the tight end position. I believe the Packers had four contributors at tight end this season. Uh, Those would be Jimmy Graham. Lance Kendricks, Robert Tanyan, and Mercedes Lewis. And we're going to give a deep dive into this season that each of these players had. Uh, But first, Andrew, why don't you give us a little bit of an idea of what the tight end position might look like in Green Bay going forward under Matt LaFleur and how he might prefer to use that position?
4: Yeah, and I think in order to to take a look at what the position might look like in the future, you have to take a look at the past of, of some of these coaches. So, I wanted to uh, do a little bit of research of what the coaching staff might prefer about the tight end position specifically. Um, this is what their particular teams possess during the 10 years as offensive coordinators. And we're talking about Matt LaFleur and uh, the new OC, Nathaniel Hackett here. For LaFleur in 2017 with the LA Rams, they had Gerald Everett, Tyler Higbee, Derek Carrier. So Everett's a little bit more of a receiving threat. Higbee's the blocker, Derek Carrier's sort of a converted wide receiver. The Tennessee Titans in 2018 under LaFleur had Delaney Walker, who pretty much didn't play, Luke Stocker, Johnu Smith, Michael Pruitt, and Anthony Firkser. So, some interesting names there, some heavy in the blocking, a little bit of wide receiver converts. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, but uh, going back to 2013 and 14 with the Buffalo Bills, he had Scott Chandler, Lee Smith, and then uh, Chris Gregg and Marquise Grease. Are Marquise Gray sort of replaced each other um, from twenty thirteen to fourteen. Ch- Chandler is of course a big, big dude, um an Iowa tight end, which I think might be a theme later on in the yeah. show today. uh He was an excellent blocker and a pretty solid receiver. Lee Smith, basically an extension of the offensive line um, in Jacksonville from twenty sixteen to eighteen. They had julius thomas Mercedes Lewis, of course, who we're very familiar with James O'Shaughnessy. Austin Safarian Jenkins and Blake Bell. So probably a little bit more leaning towards the receiving threat than the blocking. Um, Mercedes Lewis is good at both. Um, I would say Blake Bell is still a relative unknown at this point. But a, an interesting mix. It's, it's unlikely that they had a ton of input into the personnel of the team as offensive coordinators. But it is interesting to see how they use the personnel that they had. There are a ton of dual threat tight ends on this list, players who can be put in without necessarily tipping off what your offense is going to do. So typically, the top few guys are interchangeable and are going to be strong in the run game. They're able to sneak out and play action passes, and they can be threats in the red zone. So keeping that in mind, let's just take a look at the players who are on the Green Bay roster this year and maybe some options that could be available in the upcoming offseason.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And keep in mind, as we review these players that were on our team this year, um, we're going to be referencing not only our very insightful observations, but also (laughs) pro football focus grades and Andy Herman's grades uh, from his grading the pack series on cheeseheadtv.com, which is a great read and a great resource. So check
4: that out. But let's jump right in here. And Andrew, why don't you just get us started by talking about Jimmy Graham? Uh, nobody's ever set up the expectations that I would be insightful, but thanks I mean, for all that yeah thanks for all that pressure. Yeah. Really appreciate it. No problem. So yeah, if we're gonna talk Jimmy Graham, this is going to be very interesting. He was significantly worse than what I expected. And I know Graham didn't necessarily live up to the expectations that any of us had for the new tight end. But uh, when I took a look at Andy's grades, he had him graded out as a negative 6.25. Wow. Which, which, if you're wondering, is horrific. And, <laughs> and I would recommend that if you have not listened to Monday show to do it. it, it it's an hour long, so it's an investment in time. But I learned a ton, um, and I think taking a look at how he grades players is, is really interesting. And the fact that Graham was really 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 terrible i know he looked really bad in the blocking game but i thought he grayed out okay as a possession receiver quite simply he did not after some further evaluation his run after the catch game was almost non-existent and he had a lot of issues just flat out getting open so will jimmy be back next year my first inclination was yes of course matt lafleur loves using tight ends that he could very um and he could very well use Graham in the way he was hoping to probably use Delaney Walker in Tennessee this past season before he got injured. However, with Graham being a pretty poor blocker, it would likely limit his ability to sort of confuse the defense on what they are trying to do. If the Packers cut Graham before June 1st, they take a $7.3 million dead uh, take on $7.3 million in dead cap space but they would save $5.3 million. The numbers look a lot better for keeping him for one year. And so I think that's why, that's one of the things that I had advocated for, just keep him on the roster for next year. Um, he's probably worth more to you than, than that $5.3 million. But I think really it comes down to just that. Does Brian Gutekunst think he can replace Jimmy Graham's production for $5.3 million? Or maybe even use that money on a different position. So I don't know the answer to that. But I came into this exercise thinking that Jimmy Graham was for sure going to be back for another year, and I come out of it thinking that he's probably a little bit more likely to be cut than not.
3: That's really interesting, because I came from the same perspective, thinking that he probably would be back, just like you said, because it makes more sense to, to go ahead and eat that money and let him play out one more year of that deal. But uh, certainly interesting. Uh, lots to see there. I know on Twitter this week we've seen a lot of buzz about Jared Cook potentially reuniting with the Packers and uh, just the possibility there so what do you think Andrew of the possibility of Jared Cook coming back to Green Bay as a free agent
4: yeah before I saw that buzz that's not something that I had really considered and on the surface that sounds great Cook already started to establish a relationship with Aaron Rodgers two years ago he is significantly better as a blocker than jimmy graham and so i think it kind of comes down to do you think you can sign jared cook for around five million dollars or under Um, and the answer is probably yes but there's going to be competition for him and if i'm jared cook i would rather play somewhere else um, and potentially have better conditions and a better history of getting the tight end involved in the game Plus, Green Bay sort of let you walk away without much of a fight. Um, And so I don't know if he feels a little spurned. I don't think he'd be back, but um, it would be nice as a a stopgap in a position that is going to be very up in the air going into the offseason. Yeah, definitely.
3: It would be interesting to see if maybe Green Bay could sell it as, hey, Different GM, different coach. We're going to deploy our tight ends differently, you know, come back and give us another chance here. But uh, we'll see what happens there. Let's move on to Lance Kendricks. Um, Honestly, Kendricks had a better year than I thought he would. So that's where I'm going to start with this. Um, I thought his snaps would be taken by Mercedes Lewis. And during the preseason, I was convinced that there was a chance he would be cut for even just a a small cap savings. Um, and to make room for a guy like Robert Tanyan's emergence. But Kendricks exceeded those expectations and continued to be used in Mike McCarthy's offense. But other than that, you'd have to describe his play as pedestrian at best this year. It was really interesting to me that Kendricks saw a career low in receiving targets in 2018. He only had 25, which begs the question, why was he getting more snaps as a blocker than Mercedes Lewis? And we'll talk a little bit more about Lewis in just a second. But Kendrick's hands themselves were less than reliable. He had the big drop in the Washington game, which would have been a 30-yard gain or more. And so just some interesting usage of Kendrick's all year by Green Bay. Kendricks earned a negative 1.45 grade from Andy Herman, and his PFF grade was also not good. He graded out worse than Robert Tanyan in run blocking, pass blocking, and receiving. So, right across the board there. So, uh, one last thing I want, you know, the last thing I want to do here is bash on Mike McCarthy. I have a ton of respect for him and what he did in Green Bay, but the way he deployed Kendricks, especially this season, is is just really a kind of a head-scratcher. But Lance is a free agent this offseason, and I just really see very little reason that Green Bay should make him a priority to
4: re-sign for this coming season. Yeah, I'm not sure Kendricks makes sense as a return. I think one of the themes in covering this position is that much of the play of the tight ends has been replacement level. And if you can bring in rookies or or maybe some cheaper uh, other veteran free agents to do that, um, I, I think that's a, a pretty good option. And Kendricks is the definition of replaceable based on his play last season. Absolutely. So, so I get the pleasure of talking about Robert Tanyan. Um, and Tanyan is the only tight end who graded out positively by Andy Herman. So, I have a question for you, Kyle. Okay. Do you think his grades are now tainted because of his obvious bias towards Big Bob Tanyan?
3: I absolutely do. I mean, what are the chances that Robert Tanyan is the one player that grades out positively? If you spend any time on Andy Herman's Twitter, you know the man has just the biggest man crush on, on Robert Tanyan. It just, it, it's just obvious at this point.
4: The second question is, can I call him Big Bob Tanyan? I just decided that it was his nickname this week. You you cannot. That is just, sure. it is outside the lines. That's not appropriate. And now, will I return for a show next week after questioning Andy's leadership? <laughs> I don't think so. I think you're done. Yeah, it's likely no to all of the questions that I just asked. But regardless, Tanyan was a guy I predicted would make the roster before the preseason, and he proved me right. You know, every once in a while, I I get to be correct in a dis uh, an opinion. Uh, he showed a very natural athleticism and an ability to catch passes. Obviously, that big bomb is is going to be the one that we remember the most. His run blocking needs some serious work, but I don't see any reason why Tanyan can't be a comparable player to Gerald Everett with the Los Angeles Rams. Tanyan doesn't have the same pedigree as Everett, but he can be an effort blocker and a guy who will leak out and catch first downs, touchdowns, and occasionally beat you down the seam. He is the only tight end I would be willing to bet on being on the roster to start next season.
3: Yeah, I think that's absolutely a good point. He's probably back, and he's probably the safest bet there. Um, I actually, just thinking about this a little bit, I'm a little bit more worried about my availability coming back on this podcast next week because I just questioned Andy Herman's metric for grading tight ends. So uh, see you later, uh, Pack-A-Day podcast. This this is the end. (laughs) We're both in a lot of trouble. Yeah. All right. Uh, But let's talk a little bit about Mercedes Lewis. Um, He graded out as the second worst tight end on the Packers roster in 2018 for Andy and the worst, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, And Lewis's season was clearly a disappointment. Uh, But you have to wonder what the thought process was in signing Lewis in the beginning. Uh, He was one of the best, if not the best, blocking tight ends in football in 2017, and so the assumption was that the coaching staff would have a plan to use him in that way and really play to his strengths as a blocker, but that never really happened. Uh, Lewis is on record saying that Mike McCarthy's offense is not very tight end friendly, Uh, so that could explain some of Graham's struggles and why Mercedes had a low impact on this offense, but none of that explains his lack of use. Jimmy Graham played 795 snaps for the Packers in 2018. Lance Kendricks played 315 snaps. And Lewis had the third most snaps with just 191. And just over 100 of those snaps were in running situations. And so Lewis had a super disappointing season for sure. But there's, in my opinion, no reason that Lewis only blocked for a running back on just over 100 snaps. That's crazy misuse of talent in my opinion and a mistake that Matt LaFleur in his run scheme certainly would not make I really believe that so now Lewis is no longer under contract and he's made some comments about how Rogers changed some plays in the huddle and those kind of comments don't exactly help him get another contract in Green Bay but on Twitter on Monday, Michael Cohen made a note that Mercedes Lewis and new Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett are really close from their time that they spent in Jacksonville together. Uh, he even mentioned that the two have stayed in contact. So combine the fact that LeFleur is going to want some tight ends who can block with the fact that Lewis likes the OC. I think there's a chance that Lewis might just give Green Bay one more year on another cheap contract if Green Bay is willing to have him back um but given the state of the tight end position on this team, I think we should just take a few minutes to discuss what Brian Guikins could do to improve the position in this offseason and going forward. what do you think Andrew?
4: Absolutely and and when we started talking about you know who is on the roster and we we realized that there's probably not a lot of likelihood that there's going to be a lot of players returning uh, in the tight end group for next year, I wanted to take a look at who could potentially you know be signed in free agency or uh, drafted. And I wanted to take a look at players that fit the, the profile of what Lafleur and Hackett would look for in their players and they, they like those kind of dual tight ends. I think one of the big errors in Mike McCarthy's scheme was he would put in specialists, in areas and sort of tell the defense what they're running. And I think LaFleur and Hackett both really like having these dual threat tight ends that you don't know if it's a running situation or a passing situation, and they can do a little bit of both. Um, and that gives Aaron Rodgers more flexibility, quite frankly. So the first player that I wanted to take a look at is Demetrius Harris from the Kansas City Chiefs. Harris uh, entered the NFL as a, as a basketball convert from UW Milwaukee, of all places. He has always been the backup to Travis Kelsey in Kansas City. So he hasn't really gotten that opportunity. He is a fantastic athlete, as you would imagine, coming from a basketball background. And he's a pretty good route runner. He's improved in blocking, and I like his effort level there if he's not, you know, the greatest tactician. His biggest issue over the course of his career has been his hands. And that is why I see him as a similar prospect or project to Eric Ebron. Ebron obviously had a much, much higher profile as a former top-of-the-first-round pick. But I I do get reminded of where Ebron came from after his time in Detroit, and he got picked up by the Colts last offseason. There were all sorts of question marks about if he was even worth signing that contract. And Harris could come at a much more of a, a bargain bin price than Eric Ebron did, yeah, absolutely. Um, another bargain
3: bin player, as so we're kind of talking about some some deep sleepers here in free agency, uh, would be Max Williams. Max Williams is a player that I really liked coming out of Minnesota. Uh, and He hasn't become the player that I thought he might be, uh, but in 2017, he showed some flashes of improvement and actually posted a really respectable uh, pro football focus grade. And then in 2018, he actually improved again and graded out even higher for PFF. So uh, he actually graded out as the 16th best overall tight end in 2018. Now, Max played half as many snaps as some of the tight ends in the league, but he was still very good when he was on the field. Uh, What's even more impressive to me was his run blocking this year. Among tight ends that played at least 300 snaps in 2018, and I think Williams played just shy of 400 snaps, Williams graded out as pro football focus seventh best run blocking tight end in football. Seventh. It's pretty impressive. So while he might be an average receiving threat, he has some dominant run blocking traits that I think we would expect to be, you know, come to Green Bay. They would probably come to Green Bay on a pretty inexpensive contract. And I think that Matt LaFleur would love to have him on his team for that price. Um, So let's let's switch gears here a little bit and let's talk about the draft. Let's talk about some guys that might be available this coming April uh, that the Packers might be able to add uh, to the tight end position.
4: Yeah, that's an interesting transition, actually, because I think Max Williams was a guy that a lot of Packer fans had a draft crush on when he came out, and now we're taking a look at some of the draft prospects um, at tight end this year. And the first one, um, and I I promised you Iowa tight ends, and the first one that we're (laughs) going to approach is Noah Fant. Fant is the clear-cut top tight end in this draft, and... He is a crazy fluid athlete who can just run past defenders, he can rise above them to make spectacular catches, and he can make you miss in the open field. He reminds me a lot of Evan Ingram coming out two years ago. He's not necessarily the type of player you would think would fit with Lafleur's system, but if he was available, he'd be the type of unique playmaker that presents matchup nightmares. And at the end of the day, I think that's really what Matt Lafleur is all about, and that's what the goal of his offense is. However, I think Fant's correct draft position is probably going to fall somewhere between 12 and then that 30 to 32 range that they'll have with the Saints pick. So it would be hard to see the Packers getting good value with him unless they move around their draft board.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really like Fant, but I agree. I think 12 might be a little bit rich, especially the Packers' needs, um, and then he's probably not on the board at the end of the first round. So, um, somebody who might be on the board there, though, at the end of the first round, is Irv Smith Jr., uh, the tight end out of Alabama. Now, he wasn't a lock to enter this year's draft class, but we are blessed that he did. Uh, His game isn't primarily as a blocking tight end, but he's definitely willing to mix it up in the run game. Uh, But he's so dangerous as a receiving threat, and it's easy to make the comparisons to O.J. Howard, considering the Alabama connection, but at 6'3", 240 pounds, Smith might actually be a better talent in the passing game than Howard was coming out of Alabama, and that's some pretty rich praise there. Um, Howard was a little bit more well-rounded and was better in the blocking game, but Smith is a special player as a pass catcher, and you might have guessed that Irv Jr. is the son of Irv Senior, uh, who was a tight end for the Saints and was actually selected in the first round in 1993. So he's got some some family genes there uh, to play the tight end position. Apparently, Smith Jr. was set on being a wide receiver growing up, but his dad assured him that his body type uh, wouldn't allow that to be the case, and that he should settle in at tight end. So uh, sure enough, here uh, here we are, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna see him hopefully grow into that uh, tight end future in the NFL. But in a recent interview, uh, Smith was asked about his speed. Uh, someone asked Smith if he planned on running a four five forty and he responded confidently that he thought he could run a four five. And then he kind of joked about maybe hitting four uh, four. If he comes even close to hitting four four speed, even four five speed, honestly, he could be a late first round pick and someone that could be an heir to Jimmy Graham as an athletic tight end type in Green Bay.
4: Yeah, and I, I can see Irv Smith Jr. rocketing up draft boards as as we go through this pre-draft process, and a guy who's already starting to make his move is the second Iowa Hawkeye tight end, T.J. Hawkinson. He was brought up by Luke Mills. I should mention this because we did throw out a Twitter question. Uh, Luke Mills is at lmills34 on Twitter Um as as his favorite tight end, and Hawkinson just finished up his redshirt sophomore campaign. Well, he's a little undersized at 243 pounds, and I'm sure he'll bulk up before the draft. He is a fantastic blocker. He's not only willing to do the dirty work, but he actually has really good functional strength and technique. And I would expect that out of Iowa tight ends, given, given their uh, sure. recent success in the draft. He's good at running routes from the line of scrimmage, which is rare also. He can put his hand in the dirt and run a route off that. Um, But he's also showing a pretty good burst. He has fantastic hands, like really, really great. Um, He would be Mr. Reliable there. He's not the elite athlete that Fant is, but I like him much more as an all-around player. And I have a feeling teams are going to fall in love with him as we move through the pre-draft process. So they may have to take a look at taking him as high as the Saints pick, where before he was probably being projected as more of a two or a three. Yeah, absolutely. And Hawkinson is probably one of my favorite
3: options for the Packers in this draft. And you're right, probably end of the first round is probably where they'd have to spend that pick. But could be a great blend of a receiver and the blocker that Lafleur might be looking for in that offense. So uh, tuck that name away. Uh, as we get a little bit closer uh, to the draft. But uh, Dawson Knox is another name to watch for the Packers in this draft. He was criminally underused in the Ole Miss offense and was frequently open and calling for the ball. Uh, But there were just a lot of mouths to feed in that Mississippi offense this year. Uh, Knox is really not much of a blocker at this point in his uh, career. And as we've said, getting blocking from the tight end position is going to be critical for Matt LaFleur's offense. But that said, Knox is a converted quarterback. So he's still learning how to play the position, and it's possible that he may grow in his ability to block. But with a 6'4", 250-pound frame and some very real athletic ability, there are going to be a lot of teams who are very intrigued by Knox. Uh, most in the scouting community have a second to third round grade on max. So he'll possibly require the Packers to select him with their pick in the second at 44 overall if they choose to go that route. But definitely another name to watch um, as we get close to the draft and see his name rise potentially.
4: Yeah, so a a good look at where the Packers are and where potentially they could go this offseason. And unfortunately, we have run out of time. Uh, this has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Jake and Mark, and they're going to be reviewing the Packers 2018 offensive line unit. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We'll be back next week with an extra special conversation as we review the special teams. See what we did there. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember.
2: From the 16 of New York, first down, go to go. Rogers in the shotgun. Williams to his left. Here's the snap. Rogers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end zone, and a dagger. They beat Morris Clayborn to the back line in the end zone, the Packers have won it. to Wilde. Oh yes, no. and taken by Jackson in the end zone for a touchdown. And blocked by Geronimo Allison. Just gets in the. Real- Recovers in the end zone and a land ball leap to the north end zone stand. The Packers have a 6-0 lead. Effort on third down and three in the shotgun. Packers showing a blitz and here they come. Smithers looking, and as he throws it deep down the right sideline, and interception! Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Snap to Rogers looking right, throws the right side seam. Brown makes the tackle nice to thirty out of bounds. Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all six five of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds inside the thirty of the twenty-eight yard line. Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down. One knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. And it's good! It is good! Mason yes. yes. delivers the there dagger! One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight! Third and five, 13-yard line of Atlanta. Snap Ryan. Looks right close. Right there. to the house. shot seven Packers. And Rodgers looks it over. Takes the snap. Blitz on. They pick it up. Locking out. They got right out. him. They got him. 10-5. 10 Touchdown. Touchdown. That comes. That's a standpoint. 40 yards. Single back off. That's behind Aaron Rodgers. He ducks it under center. On the 29 in Green Bay. And here they up the middle, big home, straight ahead, it is Aaron Jones, up to the races, to the 12, to the 15, to the 10, down the left sideline, and he's out of bounds. Inside the 10 and the five-yard line of Miami. Aaron Jones with a first 67 yards.